hope we're all doing well, had a good weekend. It's great to see so many people here tonight. We're really um, packed out. My name is, is Stuart, and um, for those of you who I haven't met before, it's, it's wonderful to be here. Do you know, it is, it is really encouraging to be here. Um, I've, um, I've got two little children, so I am a morning man on Sunday. Um, I've got a little Abigail and Hannah, and they're six and four, so they keep me pretty busy. And um, this is usually bedtime, washing up, tidying the house time. So I'm out. Yes! Passionately having some time, completely disconnected from domestic chores. Woo! It's probably feeding my soul a bit more, I've got to be honest. But that stuff is the transformation. That's where you see the fruit, you know. Washing the shoes, polishing. Anyway, I could go on, all those jobs I do. No. Um, <laughs> So it's great to be here. You know, I'm really excited. It just, I do. It was, it's actually fantastic to see so many, um, so many young people. Just got to be really honest. Maybe I'm getting a bit old. Um, how many people here are under the age of 25? You put your hand up. Woo! Okay, right. Do you know what? Tonight is the night when we're talking about mission, okay? It's the night when we're talking about God's plan for the world, okay? We're doing this mega exciting series on the book of Acts. The book of Acts, the story of the early church when God sent his spirit to empower his disciples boldly, supernaturally to witness in his name and the message of the gospel, the good news of forgiveness and the grace of God that's in Jesus Christ. It spreads like fire. So tonight is a message about mission. And so it is mega exciting me to see so many young people, okay? Because young people have always, you know, historically have often been people that have sought the Lord in prayer and have really seen God move in remarkable ways. So I just want to really encourage you you, you are people who are, you're not yet caught up in domestic chores. And um, <laughs> not that they're the enemy, they're not, you know, they're okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, you're not caught up in the things of, in the things, some of the things of the world in terms of maybe necessarily job or family. And those things, are, they're good things, okay? But sometimes they squeeze out the time that you have to really kind of seek in your soul about what you're passionate about, okay? And so I would just encourage you, whilst you're young, you know, just to throw yourself on God. And um, I really hope and pray that tonight would be a night when, for lots of you, you feel like God stirs you, you get a calling, okay? And um, that God does something that's gonna echo in, in Wales, okay? That tonight's gonna be a night that's good, good news for the whole of Wales. It's good news for those people who are yet to come. So I'm just really feeling encouraged being here already. So let's bring it on. So, yeah, we're doing the book of Acts, aren't we? Which is this incredibly exciting book where God moves powerfully and the kingdom of God comes in power. It's um, a story or a book that's full of faith, courage, risk, there's suffering in there, but the kingdom of God advances with great pace and power. And um, I don't know about you, but I have just found it personally really encouraging right from the word go when James kind of talked on Acts chapter one, but also painted a picture for us about the whole of the book of Acts and how the Holy Spirit had moved time and again when people prayed and when they sought his face. And he particularly drew attention to Acts, verses, Acts 1, verses 4 and 8. Really, In verse 4, Jesus says to the disciples, but you need to wait in Jerusalem for the gift that the Father has promised. And that's referring to the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that waiting is about prayer. And then Acts 1, verse 8, which says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And so it's this thing of prayer first, 
and then encountering the Holy Spirit or partnering with God through seeing what he's doing through prayer starts with prayer and then we get to enter this life of faith and risk and then God does some pretty amazing stuff and the kingdom of God advances and that's what we've seen through history as well and James talked about the Hebridean revival and about two old ladies who felt um, convinced that God was going to do something wonderful on their island if only they would pray and so they committed to pray a couple of evenings a week late into the night and they called their church leaders to call people to pray and they just prayed and they sought the Lord until he came Um, And I just felt really stirred by that. I was like, oh, yes, do you know what? This is actually what my heart yearns for. Um, This is the hope that I probably keep, you know, covered up so much of the time because it is hard to hope, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to hope and to be disappointed. Um, There's um, a little proverb in the Bible that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a wish fulfilled is a wellspring of life. And if we lose the ability to hope, Friends, we lose the ability for our hearts to be fully alive. So if there's any of you who are in a place where you feel like you have hoped in God and um, you have been asking of him to do something and it's been hard, I just hope that tonight is a night where his love and his power and his hope can come into your soul again and, and light you up. But I felt um, really just, just stirred by that and um, that first week, just, I just ended up in pieces, got to be honest. Um, I just felt like God was asking me to hunger for him again just to kind of open up my heart and say, okay, Lord, all right, I give it to you. You make me hungry. The sort of prayer that I think uh, sometimes it's all I can do. <laughs> you know, Lord, I am, I'm hungry for you, but I know I need to be so much more. And um, I think that's been good. God's been putting a bit of stuff on my heart. I've also been reading this book, okay, that James mentioned, Dirty Glory by Pete Grigg. It does come with a little bit of a health warning, okay? <laughs> Because um, there are so many stories in here um, of answered prayer. It's, Pete Gregg is the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement. And these are a slightly fervent, crazy bunch of people all over the world who pray 24-7. So they pray day and night. And as a result, they've seen some unbelievable answers to prayer. Um, he starts one of his chapters with this verse from Jeremiah. Um, I think it's 32, and it says... Our sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth. Nothing is too hard for you. And that's what the book's like. It's like, oh my goodness, when we start praying, some amazing things can happen. So reading this book has been like, it's been like putting salt on my lips. It's been like, oh God, I want a bit of that. He says that at the beginning, he says that at the beginning of the book, that his aim is to tell story after story after story until you say, okay, I give in, come on, let's pray. And so um, I really encourage you. That's a, an endorsement, but it does come with a bit of a health warning. <laughs> might just stir things up a bit, okay? <laughs> you might feel a bit challenged, might upset the equilibrium in your life, but that may be a good thing. So I felt really personally encouraged, and I hope you have too. You know, this is a fantastic book to be looking at, the book of Acts. Um, it's, you know, the mission of the early church. And we've got a mission on our hands today, haven't we? We've got um, a nation, you know, if we think about the UK, 95% of people are not in church. We have so many people who don't know, really, they just don't even know the message of Jesus. I was um, reading in the paper yesterday, the father-in-law's here, so I bought the paper. I don't usually get that. But um, <laughs> I was reading about how hard it is to get an advent calendar that has a picture of Jesus on it. You know, apparently it's ridiculously hard to, to find an advent calendar. And most advent calendars now, you get little gifts, don't you? And apparently Debenhams are selling hundreds of advent calendars called Scratchy Pig. And every day you get a pork scratching. (laughs) And I just thought, do you know what? It's not, the gift of Christmas is not a pork scratching. It is Jesus. (laughs) 
so I'm getting the Christmas breach in a bit early. But you know, what did the angel say to the shepherds? He said, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And we have many, many people out there who don't know Jesus. So we've got a mission on our hands. So reading the book of Acts is an incredibly encouraging place for us to be. I'm also really encouraged because the chapter that I've got the privilege of speaking on tonight, Acts 10, is, is a chapter that I believe is pivotal really in the whole Bible and therefore dare I say it I believe that the story that we're looking at tonight and the message here is pivotal and um, transforming this this scenario this event that happened that it has shaped the whole of history okay because Acts 10 is when the Holy Spirit and the gift of salvation the message of Jesus it goes beyond the Jewish nation it goes into basically out into the Gentiles that's what the Jews called everybody who wasn't a Jew out into the Gentiles and so it goes out into the whole world this is the moment when God's plan his gospel fire goes global the message of Jesus it goes viral okay and so it is a chapter that has undeniably and irreversibly changed the course of human history and we certainly wouldn't be here today without it so this is part of our story this chapter that we're going to be looking at but I'm really praying that isn't just that we're looking at something that is of historical interest from the past that we say oh that's that's really interesting and it's part of my story from the past but actually God does something with us today that really you know catches captures our heart and so that when we see what he is doing we say yeah I want to be part of this I want to be part of bringing good news to to the nations so that the the whole earth as we're going to see will be filled with praising God because I believe that that is what God's plan is now, if we're going to see God do great things in Wales, we're going, to, um, we're going to have to have a passion in our hearts. If we want to see this gospel fire going through Wales, you know, and see some real transformation, we're going to have to have a fire in our hearts. And so we're just going to pray before we go into the text. But my, my main sort of request would be just that, that you try and open up your heart and that tonight you ask God to give you more of a fire in your heart for him because we're going to be looking at some pretty big stuff, this quest of God to bring his good news to the nations. It's a pretty big, holy call that he's given us, okay? It's a great privilege, but um, we're going to need a lot of passion in our hearts if we're going to see this happen in Wales and beyond. So let's pray, okay? Yeah, would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you just speak to us now through your word? Would you just open up hearts that have maybe found it hard to hope in you? Would you rekindle and fan into flame fires in our hearts that have have burnt down, Lord? Would you give vision and would you give calling to many people here to make a difference in Wales and beyond for many years, I pray. I pray that you would just brood over us, Holy Spirit. Speak to us now. Amen. Okay, so what I'm going to do is just try and describe what's going on in the first half of Acts chapter 10, because it's quite a long chapter, and then we're going to join it halfway through, okay? So just to set the scene, paint a bit of picture, in Acts 9, as you heard last week, Peter, who's Jesus' main disciple and kind of the leader of the early church, the main character in the first half of the book of Acts, he's seen two remarkable miracles happen. He's seen a, a, a man called Aeneas, who was bedridden and crippled, healed, and he's seen a woman called Tabitha raised from the dead. These two rem- absolutely remarkable miracles, and as a result, two whole towns worth of people practically have given their lives to Jesus so he's pretty busy in Joppa he's got a lot of discipling to do and that's where he's staying that's about sort of 35 miles or so um, northwest of Jerusalem and so but then so that's where Peter is but we start chapter 10 
learning about a man named Cornelius, who was a centurion, so he looked after soldiers in, in the Italian regiment. So he was a Gentile, he was not a Jew, and he was, um, because he was a Gentile, the Jews would have looked down on him as being somebody who was unclean, excluded from God's promises, unacceptable. But the, the text clearly tells us that he was a, a devout and God-fearing man, him and all of his family, and he prayed regularly and he was generous with the poor and one day when he's praying at about three o'clock in the afternoon he has a vision of an angel and the angel says to him Cornelius your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up like a memorial before God Um, and I just find that so encouraging and challenging that it's not just about our prayers but it's also about our heart for justice and compassion and God really cares how we treat the poor but this angel says to Cornelius, your, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up like a memorial before God. Send for Simon Peter, who is in Joppa. So Cornelius, understandably terrified by this vision of the angel, he gathers his, some of his nearest attendants, his best soldiers, and he sends them off to Joppa. Now, whilst they're on their way the next day, Peter is on, his, on the roof of the house where he is staying, and it's the middle of the day, and he's praying. And God gives him a vision or sends him into a trance and he sees a massive net coming down from heaven which is full of four-footed animals, reptiles and birds. And the voice says to Peter, get up Peter, kill and eat. But the only problem is that all the four-footed animals, the reptiles and birds are animals that actually as a strict Jew he, he can't eat because God has given the Jews various laws and regulations in the Old Testament to mark them out as his own people. Some of the things to do with what they could eat and couldn't do were, were sort of really for health reasons but other things were really just to mark them out as God's own people. So Peter realises he can't eat any of these things and he says, surely not Lord, I've never eaten any unclean or impure thing. But the voice comes a second time and says, do not call anything impure that I have made clean. Do not call anything impure that I have made clean. And this is a really key verse for the whole chapter. This vision comes three times, and we know in the Bible when three times something is given, it is given for special extra emphasis. So Peter is there kind of wondering what this is about when, knock, 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 there is a rat-a-tat-tat on the door down below. Peter runs down from the roof and... Um, as he's going, the Holy Spirit gives him a big nudge and says, Peter, don't hesitate to go with these men. I have sent them. They are looking for you. So he opens the door and he says, you're looking for me? And they say, yes. And, they, and, he, and he comes in. Okay. So we're going to join it there. It's the second half of verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. I'm just going to pause there for one second. Because I just want to bring out a couple of things. 
The first thing is that the penny is starting to drop for Peter about what this vision was about. So he's had this message from God saying, saying really wants him to know, do not call anything impure that I have made clean. And that combined with the nudge of the Holy Spirit at the time to go with some Gentile men to a Gentile believer's house has made him realise that God is not just talking about food here, but that he's talking about people. And we see in verse, the second half of verse 28 that he's getting it, isn't it? God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. And this is because the message of Jesus is changing everything. And so because of the, the message of the grace of God, the gift of Jesus Christ sacrificed on a cross, his death and his resurrection, and the forgiveness that can come to anybody who believes in him, so everybody's welcome, wherever you are from today, however far you're feeling from God, because there's only one thing you need to do to trust in Jesus. Because of this great new message, the Jews are not going to have to anymore rely on their old religious rituals and ceremonies to get right with God. So they're going to be free to, to eat various foods, and that is discussed in the rest of the New Testament. But in a much more significant way, actually the Gentiles are going to be able to trust in the same gift, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the grace of God, and they're going to be able to be made clean, to have a right relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. And so the penny is starting to drop with Peter that this not calling anything impure that he's made clean is about people and not just animals, and that God is going to be doing something much bigger than he'd originally thought. I think the next thing to recognise is that Peter is having to risk, isn't he? You know, there's some pretty dramatic stuff going on here. There's been an angel visiting Cornelius. He's fallen into a trance, and we have no idea really what that is like. Um, and he's had a nudge from the Holy Spirit, and it's all come together. You know, there's been a message from an angel to, um, to send for a man that Cornelius had never even heard of and didn't know where he, where he was staying. And, and it's all coming together, and yet Peter's still feeling like, oh, you know, I shouldn't really be here. You know, so he says in... Verse 28, you're well aware that it's against, for, against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit him. You know, Peter's, he's having to risk, isn't he? He's having to follow the prompting and the unction of the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, it's a challenge here for us, isn't it? You know, when was the last time that we followed the Holy Spirit in this way and we ended up in, in kind of like a risky situation? So if we looked in Acts 11, Peter comes under some flack from the new Jewish believers that he actually even went to associate with these Gentiles and it's not until he explains about what happens and how the Holy Spirit came in power that they kind of go, okay, fair enough. But there's, there's a call to a risky sort of faith here. I think the other thing to notice is the expectation that is built when we do follow the Holy Spirit. So Cornelius is clearly expecting something great here. He has gathered all of his friends and relatives together. So I don't know whether Peter's feeling the pressure a bit. Um, but they've all gathered together. And, and, and Cornelius is just must be convinced that this is God. This is the maker of heaven and earth. You know, he's seen this angel. And when Peter comes in, he just bows down. Peter has to you know, scoop him up. So there is great expectation when we you know, when we will follow the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's carry on and see what happens. So verse 34, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened through Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus for Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. 
He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And we're just going to pause there again. And... So what has Peter done? He's got this, this great, there's this great moment of expectation and Cornelius has said, we're all here ready for what you've got to say to us in the presence of God. And what does Peter do? Well, he just tells them the gospel. He just tells them really that they've heard what happened with John the Baptist, that they kind of knew the stir that Jesus had caused. And Peter testifies that he personally has seen Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected and that he's personally received the charge and the call to preach a message of forgiveness. And so the, the, the culmination of that is that verse 43, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so this, friends, is, this is the good news of Jesus. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if it is, is new to anybody, then there is great news and hope for you here. It is the message that Jesus, who came to live on earth, who moved in power, that he gave his life on the cross that he died, that he was raised again to life as an affirmation that his sacrifice was acceptable to God and that he paid for the sins of the world and that everybody who believes in him can receive forgiveness of sins. It is a great, precious, the most precious message in all of history and it is freely available to anybody who has not received it yet tonight. And so I just really encourage you, if that's where you're, you're at tonight, can be the night where you experience that forgiveness of sins because it is wonderful. I love the fact that Peter has just, he's just preached the gospel. He's, he's been given the opportunity to speak and he's just pointed straight to Jesus. It's also worth recognising that um, this, this penny is, is still dropping. You know, he's still, he's still realising that God is doing so, something so much bigger than he had realised. So if we looked at verse 34, then Peter began to speak, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. I now realise that this wasn't something Peter knew a week ago. He thought that Jesus was just coming for the Jews. Okay, but this God's plan is just like, he's just blown open the lid of Peter's vision, okay? And Peter is realising that God is sending the message of the gospel to the nations. He's sending it to the Gentiles. He's sending it to everybody who would receive forgiveness in the name of Jesus. And I don't really quite know what's going through Peter's mind, whether he's sort of thinking about various bits in the Old Testament that might be testifying to this. But by the time we get to verse 43, it's really interesting, isn't it, that he says, all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. All the prophets, so the prophets are the Old Testament writings that the Jews had, but they hadn't really seen Jesus in there. But he is. You know, um, he's there. And so I don't know what, what sort of God is bringing to Peter's mind. I'd like us just to look quickly at Isaiah 42, verse 6, 6 and 7. It's the, Isaiah 42 is what's called a servant song. And there are various um, servant songs in the book of Isaiah that are really prophecies about God's servant. And really, we know now that they're ultimately prophecies about Jesus. So 42, verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to, re and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness 
And I think that's amazing. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. And a covenant was an agreement or a set of rules or regulations that basically explained how the relationship between a ruler and the people would work. It, was, it set out how things work. And so when God is saying about his servant Jesus that he will make him to be a covenant for the people, it's really a prophecy that Jesus is going to be the one who's going to make the way for relationship. Okay? And so it's amazing. It's in here. It's in the Old Testament hundreds of years before Jesus was born, that Jesus was going to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. But the the penny is is starting to drop with Peter that all the prophets testified to this as well. And it's easy for us with hindsight, isn't it, to kind of realise this, because obviously we're part of this story. The message of the gospel spread well beyond Jerusalem. It's gone to all the way to Cardiff and and, and a lot further. Um, So with hindsight, it's easy to know. You know, I think when we, um, when, when actually we look at the Bible, we can see that actually this has been God's plan all along, hasn't it? So if we went right back to um, the beginning of creation, I'm going to move this because I want to be a bit active. So if we went right back to the beginning of creation and when God creates mankind in, in Genesis, he says that he creates the male and female, he creates them in the image of God. And he says, he blesses them. He says, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So God wants to fill the earth with people who are made in his image, who reflect his glory, who worship him, who love him. He wants to spread his glorious kingdom all over the world. That's what he wants to do. That is the original mandate for humankind. That is God's plan. But we know that actually sin enters the world, and so God's plan is temporarily sidetracked, okay? And I'll say temporarily because God is going to have his way, okay? If we went right over to the other, other side of time, to the end of the world, to, if we went into Revelation, we would see that God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and that people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation are going to worship him. And um, there's this little verse in Habakkuk 2.14. It says, And the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. This is God's plan, to cover the whole world with his glory and his praise. But if we come back here, we know that the plan has been temporarily sidetracked, and so God has to do something new, okay? So he calls a man Abraham, doesn't he? And he says to Abraham that he's going to make him into a great nation. He gives this Abrahamic blessing. And at the end of the Abrahamic blessing, it says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God is coming to make a nation out of Abraham, and through this nation, he's going to bless all of the nations of the world. But we know through the Jewish history, that doesn't doesn't really happen. They have significant ups and downs. Um, And so when we get to the time of Jesus, this promise hasn't been fulfilled. And that is because the promise is really going to be fulfilled through what Jesus is going to do and how the Holy Spirit is going to come and what's going to happen afterwards. So Jesus comes and he ministers in, in Israel um, and he ministers to the Jews mostly. So he's not gone to the nations yet, but the central point of the Christian faith, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ happens and that makes way for the Holy Spirit to come. And so we have Pentecost in the book of Acts and God is starting to move and this gospel fire is starting to spread, but we haven't got quite to the point yet where this Abrahamic promise of all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. It has not quite happened yet. Okay, so with that in mind it is therefore to me not that surprising what happens next so Acts 10 verse 44 whilst Peter was still speaking these words the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message 
The circumscribed believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's like the Holy Spirit has just been waiting. He's been waiting for over a thousand years for this Abrahamic promise, this blessing that was going to get God's original plan back on track. He's been waiting to do it. And really, as soon as Peter gets the message of the grace of God, of the forgiveness that is available to anybody who trusts in him, as soon as that message comes out and the Holy Spirit sees willing heart, boom, he comes, okay? And it's amazing, isn't it, that the result of that is that these people speak in tongues and that they're praising God. So they're praising God in different languages. And so it's this whole thing of God's vision for the whole earth to be full of his glory and his praise, that he's after the nations, that he loves every person of every nation. He wants them to know him and to sing his praise. It's happening. So when the Holy Spirit comes, we see that. It's like what happens in Pentecost in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit falls on Jesus' disciples. And there are many different people in Jerusalem at that time. And they end up saying, what is this we hear? We hear these men declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And so there are these different languages that are praising God. And so this is God's original plan. It is happening. And so this passage really... What's it about? It's about God's heart for the nations. God has a heart for the nations because he loves people. He has created people to know him and to reflect his glory. And he has a heart. His heart is to fill the whole world with people who love and worship him and to fill the earth with his glory. And so this is an, this is an amazing message that we've got. Okay? It is a message for us to invite many, many people into. And I just reiterate that invite that if you were here tonight and you don't yet know Jesus, tonight can be the night where you can and receive the life of Jesus and the forgiveness that he has brought into your heart. It's incredibly encouraging for us. You know, we've got this holy call. This is a big call, okay? And um, it is amazing that God wants to use us. He wants to use me and you. you know, he hasn't got anybody else lined up in Wales, okay? It, when he's got other churches, but, you know, he's, he, he uses human people. He uses fallen people. You know, there's a great privilege in here, but there's also a great challenge, isn't there? This is a massive challenge because, dare I say, is it dangerous to try and work out what you think the plan of God is? Because if you do, if you think actually God's plan for history, God's plan for the world is his glory in the nations, if that's what he's after, if that's what he wants to, that's his gift to the world, that the whole world would know how amazing he is and experience his joy. If that's God's plan for the world, then... Is that, is that kind of like, to a large degree, the meaning of life? Or the call on our lives? Oh, I feel like tentative to even suggest it. Do you know what I mean? Because actually when we see God's plan in the big picture, it's kind of like, oh Lord, what am I doing with my life? Yeah? How much of my life is seeking God's kingdom like that, okay? How much of my heart is really burning in the way that he, his heart burns for his glory in the nations and, and, and to know every person of every nation, okay? How much, how much is my heart on fire for mission? You know, I spoke earlier, didn't I, about that if we're going to see a gospel fire in Wales, we've got to have, a gospel, we've got to have fire in our hearts. And that's true, isn't it? You know, if we really want to see God's kingdom come, if we're going to be people who are going to seek, are going to pray, going to risk, going to maybe even endure suffering, we've got to have a fire in our hearts. And if God's plan really is for his glory to be known in the nations, then that, that heart has to beat in ours. 
I mentioned this morning the words of a Matt Redman song um, he wrote a couple of years ago. And the words go, let worship be the fuel for mission's flame. We're going with a passion for your name. We're going because we care about your fame. Send us out. Let worship be the fuel for mission's flame. We're going with a passion for your name. We're going because we care about your fame. Send us out. And so that's part of the question, friends. It is a hard question. Like how much does the, the, the name of God and, and how much is lifted up, how much does it move our hearts? You know, in a nation where, you know, 95% of people are not in church and um, people don't really know the message of, of Jesus. You know, we sing some amazing worship songs today, haven't we? We talked about God being worthy of every breath we could ever breathe and that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And to a large degree, worship has got something to do with worship. So you worship something when it is really, it's, it's really worth you praising. It's worthy of your praise. And if that is really true, that you find something that is really worthy of you giving your whole life to, and there might be actually some of you today who think, yeah, do you know what, this is worth me giving my whole life to. When we think there is something that, we are, that is worth giving our adoration and praise to, we can't help but be moved when other people don't see that. And we, we, we want them to see it. And John Stott, um, a great preacher in the last century, put it like this. He said, if God desires every knee to bow to Jesus and every tongue to confess him, so should we. We should be jealous, as scripture sometimes puts it, for the honor of his name, troubled when it remains unknown, hurt when it is ignored, indignant when it is blasphemed, and all the time anxious and determined that it shall be given the honor and glory which are due to it. We should be jealous for the honor of the name of Jesus, troubled when it is unknown, hurt when it is ignored, indignant when it is blasphemed, and all the time anxious and determined that it shall be given the honor and glory which are due to it. Friends, we've got a mission, haven't we? There's many people who have these attitudes about Jesus, and we, if we want to see the name of Jesus lifted high, like a banner in this land, so all men might know that he is the truth and the way to heaven. We want to see that happen. We've got to have a passion in our hearts for his name, haven't we? It's got to stir in our hearts. Now, I say this in no way to make anybody feel guilty because I fully recognize in the busyness of life and in the ups and downs of life that it is, it is impossible to be burning 100% for Jesus all the time, okay? Um, Jesus is our ultimate our ultimate model here, isn't he? When he overturned the, the tables in the temple, the disciples remembered that it said that zeal for God's house would consume him. You know, he's our model. He's full of fervor and zeal, but we can't, we can't be like that all the time, you know? But there is an invitation tonight for you to say, Lord, would you stir up a passion in my heart for you? Would you, would you show me how my life fits into your story? You know, for so many of you here today, um, that exactly what you're doing with your lives, it's not yet set, okay? You're not maybe set necessarily in, in your job and family or geographically. And I just really encourage you tonight to think, Lord, how does my life, this is your, these are your lives, okay? And they're important. And there's massive potential in this room for the kingdom of God. It's absolutely massive. If, if, you know, young people have been people who've often taken the gospel to places and prayed fervently, then the potential in this room is huge, okay? So I want you to be excited about what you represent. You probably don't quite know the impact that you're gonna have on the future of Wales and the kingdom of God in the UK. So I'm excited for you, but I, I just really encourage you to say, how does my life fit in, God, with your big plan? 
time. You know, this, is, this life is the only time we get to serve God really willingly, isn't it? When we get over here and it's full of glory and joy and we're just in everlasting, you know, paradise, it's easy to worship God, but we, we don't, you know, it's kind of involuntary, it just happens. This is the life when you get to seek God's kingdom. And so I just, yeah, really encourage you tonight to, to bring your plans before the Lord, whatever they might be, whatever graduate jobs you think you might be going for or what you might be doing next, bring it before the Lord and say, does this fit into your plan? Lord, would you give me a passion to not just, you know, do the good things in life because there are good things, you know, um, learning, studying, getting a job, having a family, all these things are good. But if our lives are so full of them that our hearts haven't got any space to really be passionate about seeing God's kingdom spread and many people coming to know him and that we don't have this thing of really wanting to see God glorified by his message of forgiveness coming to the nations and then praising him, then we're kind of not quite where God wants us to be, okay? And... Do you know what? It's okay just to say, Lord, would you put that on my heart? You know, how many people think that having a passion for God and a desire for the kingdom is a good thing? Okay, so we're all in on that, all right? And so, another straw bulb. If that is true, then does that passion and desire come from God? If it's a good thing, you know, he's the, he's the, the giver of all good gifts, isn't he? Okay? So does it come from him? Come on. Yeah. It comes from him, doesn't it? Okay? So let's just ask, let's just say, you know, he's a good father, okay? And does God, when we come before him and we say, Lord, just give me a passion for your name, I'll just be really honest, my fire's a bit low, or my fire's gone out. Like, what does he go? So oh, I'm not going to do that. He's like, of course. You know, this is his plan. It's his plan. John Piper says this brilliant thing. He says, the missionary purpose of God is as invincible as the fact that he himself is God. So again, the missionary purpose of God is as invincible as the fact that he himself is God. It's basically saying that actually this is, it's all or nothing, okay? Either this message of Jesus and what we believe about the Bible, it being true, that Jesus lived, he died, he was resurrected, that there's a message of grace, that God's kingdom continues to move through all of history. It's either true and therefore our lives are about his story or it's not, Okay. And I believe that we do believe that it is true. We just have difficulty in really fully engaging our hearts in it, okay? And therefore, we just need to ask God and say, Lord, give me a passion for your name, Lord. Would you stir me up? Would you put a fire in my heart that really moves me? And um, I just really want to call and encourage you that you would do that because um, I believe that there is tremendous opportunity potentially in this room and that you probably do not know the works that God has got for you and the amazing things that could happen if you seek God in prayer and if you partner with him like we see in the book of Acts like we saw in the Hebridean revival like many stories in that dangerous book I showed at the beginning you know that God could do some amazing things back to that verse in Jeremiah sovereign Lord you made the heavens and the earth nothing is impossible for you it is not it is not impossible for God to move mightily in Wales. It's not just not, not impossible, but the Bible tells us that if we be people who pray and seek him, that we'll see great things happen. And if God is for us, then who can stand against us? So are you, are you with me? Yes. Yeah, are you going to be with me? Are you going to say, Lord, help me throw my life upon you? Are you going to say, Lord, I'm frightened? <laughs> I'm a bit unsure? You know, I spoke to somebody this morning, and they said, oh, yeah, it's like that, isn't it? Like... Um, you want God to speak, but then you're a bit scared if he does speak, that you might hear him. <laughs> oh, and what's that going to mean? 
It's going to mean faith, risk, adventure, maybe a bit of suffering. But do you know what? We were made to be alive, weren't we? And this Christian life is not just a sluggish marathon, but it is a passionate pursuit. Okay? And, um, yeah, I just really encourage you, okay? So why don't we stand? We're just going to invite the Holy Spirit.